it's a little too late for making changes living through it all again letting that train hit the rail it's a little too late for changing their minds the dealer's been dealt all of our time has been spent for me being your saving grace being your protector night in shining armor this time dr craig let's talk about your secret weapon and this is a blog from wintry night who just really pays homage to Jan, your wife, and says that William Lane Craig's secret weapon is his amazing wife, Jan. I love this picture that he includes on the blog because Bill, so many of us, including me, think of, uh, that's what we think of when we think about you and Jan, a beautiful medieval picture of you as a knight going off to battle and being encouraged by a lady. Yeah, and she even has blonde hair like Janice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love this painting as well. And, and I feel like that night, Kevin, I really do. I feel like I go forth into battle and that she sends me just like this lady does her night. It's a, a beautiful portrayal. Since that it turns out that you owe a lot of your success to Jan, and you gave a talk, a chapel address to Biola University students, and, uh, and then you describe what happened after you finished your bachelor's degree at Wheaton. And if you would like, you can recount here what you told them because he quotes you and copied down what you said okay. right as you joined the staff of Campus Crusade. Jan and I were at Trinity and um, I had begun my classes in the fall semester. And after a few weeks, I came in and said, well, I, I don't know what to do now. I, I, I've done all the work for all of my classes. What should I do? And she said she just couldn't believe it. She said, what is going on with this guy? I, I can't just have him sitting around doing nothing. So she got the catalog for the uh, Divinity School out and all of the course offerings and so forth and figured out how I could do two master's degrees during the time that it would take to do one. She said, all you've got to do is take overloads each semester, go to all of the summer school classes full time, uh, and then do some extra things on the side, and you will have two master's degrees in the time that it takes to do one. And it was at that point that I realized that this young woman to whom I'd been married for only about a year and a half, was going to be my cheerleader and was going to be just a tremendous source of encouragement and inspiration. And so that was what we did. In the two years at Trinity, I earned master's degrees in both philosophy of religion and in church history and the history of Christian thought. And she figured all that out without the internet. <laughs> yes, you can imagine. that's right. Yes, it was just sitting at the at, uh, supper table with all of these schedules and catalog out in front of her. And you said, are you sure you really want to make the commitment it takes to, to do this kind of thing? And she said, go for it. 
yeah. go for it. Yeah. yeah. So cheered you on. And then uh, in an article on the website, you talk about how Jan encouraged you to do your first PhD. Yes. It was near the end of our time at Trinity. I was about to graduate, and we didn't know what we were going to do after graduation. We had no clear guidance from the Lord or vision of what we ought to do upon graduation. And so we were sitting at the supper table one night talking about it, and she says to me, well, honey, if money were no object, what would you really like to do next? And I said, well, if money were no object, I guess I'd like to go to England and do a doctorate under John Hick. And she said, well, who's he? And I said, oh, he's this famous British philosopher who's written on arguments for the existence of God. And if I could study under him, I could write a doctoral dissertation on the cosmological argument for God's existence. Well, the next day she came back to me and said, I went to the library and I found out that John Hick is at the University of Birmingham in England and here's his address. Why don't you write to him and ask him if you can come and do a doctorate under him? Once again, without the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so we wrote a letter to Professor Hick and to my delight and surprise, he wrote back and said, yes, I'd be very pleased if you would come and do a doctorate under me writing on the cosmological argument for the existence of God. So it was an open door. All we had to do was come up with the money. And the way in which the Lord supplied the money to do that is another story uh, of God's marvelous provision. We uh, received uh, money to enable us to do the entire study in England without going into one cent of debt. Uh, and it was a, a great time out of which flowed three books and a version of the cosmological argument that I have used on university campuses in evangelism ever since. Bill, that preemptive strike that she said, if money were no object, what yeah. would you do? Did she know that you'd say, well, it, you know, it's gotta take, we don't have the money? Uh, did she just knew you, knew you were gonna say that? Or? Uh, I've never asked her about that. I guess she must have thought, what is your vision? What would you like to do? And if that is your vision, then we'll trust God to supply the means to reach the goal. And that's exactly what happened. We did not let money be a determining factor. We thought of what we felt we wanted to do, what was our vision, and then we trusted God to bring in the money. Okay. So you went and began your doctoral studies in Birmingham. Near the end, you're sitting in your little house there in Birmingham right. at, the, at the table, and she says, Honey, if money were no object, <laughs> what would you like to do next? Exactly. We didn't know what I was going to do upon graduation from Birmingham either, and she asked me that same question, and I laughed because I remember that it was the question that God had used to guide us to go to England. That I Were you said, thinking about teaching? Yes, yeah, yeah thinking okay. about getting a teaching position in oh. the States somewhere. Okay. Um, but I, said, I laughed. I said, if money were no object, I guess, what I'd really like to do is go to Germany and study under Wolfhard Pollenbach. 
And she said, who's he? <laughs> and I said, oh, he's this famous mm -hmm. German theologian who's defended the resurrection of Jesus historically. And if I could work under him, I could write a thesis on the historical credibility of the resurrection of Jesus. Well, we've kind of forgot about her, or at least I did, until a couple days later. Uh, she confronted me at dinner time and told me that when I said that, it had lit a fire within her. And she had gone to the university library the next day, unbeknownst to me, and began to research on grants in aid to study at German universities. And she came across this thing called the Alexander von Humboldt Stiftung, the Alexander von Humboldt Foundation. This was a, found, or is a foundation that brings foreign scientists and scholars in other fields to Germany to do research in German laboratories and universities. Well, most of these men are scientists, physicists, molecular biologists, chemists, and so forth, but it said it was open to any field. And so we applied in the field of theology and proposed as my research project an investigation of the historical credibility of the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and then we began to pray. And um, sometimes I could believe God for this. Other times I would think of these 24 German academics sitting around this long table in Bonn, weighing these various research proposals and coming across this one on the historicity of Jesus' resurrection. <laughs> and my heart would just sink. Well, to make a long story short, Kevin, uh, what happened is, again, marvelously, we were granted a fellowship from the Alexander von Humboldt Stiftung to do this research under Pallenberg, and then it was renewed for a second year. So for two years, the German government paid me to study the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And out of that study, again, came three books and an argument for the historicity of the resurrection that I still use all the time on university campuses. And so once again, it was Jan's prompting and help that propelled us on this remarkable adventure. Yeah. And Bill, you've pointed out before that she's a person who is tremendously resourceful, talented, she's energetic. She could have pursued her own career very and, and much so, Kevin. There would be any number of areas where she could have been a very successful career woman, but she subordinated all of that to helping me in my ministry. Her goal is to make me as effective as I can possibly be, and the Lord has really used her uh, in my life in that capacity. I can say that she still has her interest yes. in her things. Yes, but, that's true. So, Bill, it's a, it's, it's a choice. It happens to be this choice that she wanted to take on this supporting role. Yes, very much so, Kevin. She freely took on this supporting role rather than seek the limelight herself. Very, very early in our marriage, I remarked to her one day, I feel like I can do anything if there's just one person that believes in me. And she later told me that when I said that, she thought to herself, I want to be that one person. 
And she certainly has been. Yeah. 